All right, so yeah, boy, Christmas is over. Hope you all enjoyed it. The new year is coming. But before we get to the new year, I want to talk about another holiday that's coming up pretty soon, and that is the holiday of Easter. Believe it or not, just around the corner, I know most of us haven't even put up our Christmas trees yet, but Easter is only three weeks away, three months away, I should say, from this weekend. Oh, boy, yeah, not three weeks. Okay, no, you got a little more time. So three months away from uh, this this. Uh, from, from this weekend, as a matter of fact. And when I think about Easter, I think about some of my fondest childhood memories. Uh, I grew up in Bryan College Station just up the road, and so whenever we had Easter, we did it big, like maybe probably many of your families and plenty of other Christians around the world. We had a lot of family drive in from other parts of the state, and we even had some family members fly in from other parts of the country. We go out to my Uncle Oscar's house. He had this property with this big field next to it, so the kids would be outside playing. Uh, the adults would be inside preparing the meal and, uh, you know, reminiscing and enjoying each other. And then we would have an Easter egg hunt. And so after you collect all the eggs, uh, I, to this day, I love eggs. I love hard-boiled eggs. I love my eggs scrambled hard. And so back then, I loved them too. And so after, you know, you get your basket and you start going through everything, I would find about two or three eggs and I would just peel the, the shells and I would just eat them right there. And then you put the eggs away, you play a little bit longer, it's time to eat. You play some more, then you go home. And then this is the 70s and the 80s, and like a large number of people back then, what we did when we got home uh, on Easter Sunday at about 7 o'clock is we turned on the TV and we would watch The Ten Commandments starring Charlton Heston. To this day, one of my all-time favorite movies, I knew all the lines, I knew everything that was going to happen, I knew all the scenes in that movie. And really quick, just for one minute, I want to show you what my favorite scene was. Let's watch it real quick. Behold his mighty hand! Yes, his will be done. Okay, I know the cinematography today, yeah, we, we're used to a little slicker pr production today, but that was some good TV back then. And so, as I said, that was my favorite scene, but that was also my worst scene. Why? Because for several years, about three or four different times, let's say when I was about 7, 9, 12, and 13, or something like that, at that exact same moment, the same thing would happen. Charlton Heston, as Moses, would reach out that staff, the Red Sea would part, my mouth would start to water, and I would have to run to the restroom and throw up. I, I, I didn't know for a long time what caused it. I mean, and, and I almost literally at that point was a baby Christian. I, I thought uh, God was trying to speak to me. I mean, you know, God, am I breaking one of the Ten Commandments? Am I, am I possessed? Why at that exact moment would I have to run to the restroom and throw up? Well, several decades later, when I'm, you know, in my 30s and 40s, I'm thinking about the good old days. I'm thinking about, you know, Easter and the Easter egg hunt. I'm thinking about that movie and me having to run. And it finally hits me like an epiphany. It is really ironic because my, my late cousin Helen, 
She was always in charge of the Easter egg hunt, and she's one of the best cooks I had ever seen in my life. She was in charge of the Easter egg hunt, and what I didn't realize at the time is that Cousin Helen would sit out the eggs for the Easter egg hunt and hide them sometimes a week or two in advance. And so those eggs were just sitting out there out in the open, and I come in, I plop them, and I eat them, and I'm like giving myself salmonella poisoning. I, I, I didn't even realize it. And so, so the reason it would happen at that same moment is because for years we had the exact same routine. We go to church, we go to my uncle's house, we play Easter egg hunt, I eat the eggs, we play, eat, go home, and just at around, you know, 8 o'clock that evening, the eggs said, okay, we got to get out of here. And so, so I wasn't possessed. Uh, but, 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 but stay with me right there. Stay with me and Charlton Heston and, and Moses and the Israelites in that moment. And they are on the edge of Egypt on the shores of the Red Sea. And think about their perspective. Behind them is Egypt. It's a place they cannot return to. God has called them out of. Far in the distance is the promised land. It's where God wants them to go. It is his will for their life. It represents their unique relationship with Almighty God. But directly in front of them is something that they can't cross unless they get a miracle. And today, as we are on the edge of an old year that is about to pass away forever, and we're getting ready to step into a new year, there's a few things that I think God wants us to see this morning from the passage we're going to be in. Our Heavenly Father, who loves us so much, but who is an all-powerful God, the one and only, he wants to show us three things. One, that he always keeps his promises, always keeps his promises. Two, he is a loving God who seeks to intervene personally on behalf of his people. And three, he works to do something new in our lives, no matter how good or bad things have been in the past. So today's passage, we're going to be in Isaiah 43. If you want to turn your Bibles there or get on your smart devices and look up Isaiah 43. And a little bit of background before we read that passage. So and here in Isaiah 43, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the Israelites who are in captivity in Babylon. Now, they, they, God exiled them from Jerusalem because of their sin. They wanted to be like the other nations. They started worshiping pagan gods and worshiping idols. So God punished them, and so he sent them to Babylon in exile, and he told them it was going to be for 70 years. Now, it, it was never easy. You know, they were in captivity, but, but things got worse as time went on to the point where they're, you know, halfway through almost, and they're starting to think that God is not going to keep his promise and actually get them to leave and go back to Jerusalem after 70 years. So what he does in this instance, in this passage, he's going to hearken back and help them remind them that 900 years before, he rescued their ancestors out of Egypt. So that, 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 that's our reference there. We're in Babylon, the Israelites, 900 years after, well, after Egypt, after the Israelites were brought out of Egypt. And so uh, he tells them not only is he going to keep that promise to bring them out of captivity and, and send them back to Jerusalem, he is going to do it in a new and an even greater way. All right, so let's read Isaiah 43, starting with verse 16. And it reads, thus says the Lord who makes a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters, 
who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the mighty man. Of course, he's talking about Egypt here. They will lie down together and not rise again. They have been quenched and extinguished like a wick. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Okay, so again, God is reminding the Israelites there in Babylon of how he rescued their ancestors out of Egypt 900 years before. And again, remember their perspective. Behind them is Egypt. It's a place that they have been called out of, a place they cannot return. And, but what's happening is Pharaoh and his army, his mighty chariots, is trying to chase them down. And surely some of them will be driven into the sea and they, some of them will die, but their goal is to bring most of them back and, and put them back in captivity, put them back into slavery. Far in the distance is the promised land. That's the place that God has called them to. That is his will for their lives. That's where he wants them to go. But then directly in front of them is the Red Sea. And if they go into it and try to cross on their own, it is something that is literally going to drown them and obliterate them as a people. So I have a question for all of you and maybe some of you would answer it. How many of you in this year of 2023 had certain circumstances that you want to desperately get away from in a new year, but you fear that they might be trying to drag you back? Or, or how many of you, you, you know God wants you to step through something, but it's so overwhelming the circumstances that you feel that you are going to literally drown under the pressure because it's so overwhelming. The job is overwhelming. If, if you're a student, the expectations that your parents and your teachers have, maybe it's become overwhelming. Finances might be overwhelming. The anger that you for some reason have developed and is welling up, it's somehow becoming overwhelming. The depression, the loneliness that you've been experiencing at for now it, it's become overwhelming parenting for some has become overwhelming what about marriage we have to realize that across the houston area texas the united states of america there are couples whether it was the husband the wife or both together who said you know what christmas 2023 we're going to get through one more Christmas so the kids can have a decent Christmas, but after this we get to the new year, we are done. The marriage has become so overwhelming that this union that God put together, this covenant that God put together, you have one or both spouses who are willing to walk away because it's become so overwhelming. Well, God is reminding the Israelites there in Babylon and he is reminding us here today that he is a loving father who still performs miracles and intervenes in the lives of those whom he loves and those who trust him. The Bible also tells us in Exodus uh, that he performed that miracle. And so when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, the Bible says they crossed on dry land. Now think about that. Of course, the Red Sea is, because of time, is probably deeper 
today than it was back then, but it was still pretty deep. Today, the average depth of the Red Sea is anywhere from like 490 feet to about 1,900 feet. But in its deepest parts, the Red Sea is about 9,900 feet deep. That's almost 10,000 feet deep. So we don't know the exact point that the Israelites crossed, but we do know that there was, it was a lot of water. And God cleared that path for them. And they didn't, they didn't cross on soggy sand. They didn't cross on, on wet soil. The Bible says they crossed on dry land. And that tells you when God performs a miracle, when we step into the miracle that he has for our lives, we are walking on solid and steady ground. He performed that miracle for them, and they crossed on dry land. And so we serve a powerful and loving God who, who wants to intervene for us in just that way, provide miracles for us in a solid way that we can count on because he keeps his promises in our times of trouble. So God uses uh, the Exodus to remind the Israelites in Babylon and us today about, about his promises. The first reminder is that, again, he always keeps his promises and always means always. A second reminder is as we head into the new year, some of us need to remember his promises. And there are others of us who need to discover his promises for the very first time in 2024. And the third reminder is he not only promises to rescue us in times of trouble, he promises to do something new and even greater in the midst of it. Let's read verses 18 through 19 in Isaiah 43. They say, it says, do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? Now, wait a minute. It seems like God is doing something kind of strange here, right? Did you catch it? In verses 16 and 17, he says, in order to encourage you, I want you all to remember what I did for your ancestors 900 years ago in the past. But then in verses 18 and 19, he says, don't remember the past. What, what is God doing? Is, is he contradicting himself? Is, is there some kind of conflict? What is going on here? Well, what God is saying, what he's telling them is, don't get so caught up in the past, whether it was good or bad, that you don't realize what I'm trying to do for you now or in the future. He says there, behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? What he's saying is, will you not be able to recognize what I'm trying to do for you today because you're so stuck in the past? He, he, and he's also saying, don't paint me into a corner. I'm God. The way I rescued you before may not be the way I rescue you now. The way I rescued your parents, grandparents, whoever, whoever had some kind of a trouble, I may not rescue you the same way. I am going to do something new. And for those who had a really, really great 2023, I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, you, you're, the finances, the job, relationships were great. You are walking with the Lord greater and deeper than you ever have before, and that's awesome. But even for you, he has this warning. And why? Because even in the good times, the good times can be dangerous for a lot of folks, especially Christians, because we get complacent and, and, and we rest on our laurels. And God never wants us to get complacent. He, he doesn't want us to dwell so much in the past that we can't see what he's doing now. Think about David. David, after Jesus Christ, my favorite individual in the entire Bible, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. The prophets didn't say that about David. His people didn't say that about him. Their, his king, the other kings and enemies didn't say that about David. 
God is the one who said, he is a man after my own heart. What does that mean? That means everything that God wanted for Israel and for David, David wanted for Israel and for David. He was, you go to Israel today, they will tell you that he is the greatest king that Israel ever had to this day. But in 2 Samuel, the Bible tells us that they got to springtime, and springtime was when the kings and the countries went to war. And after all the, the, the battles that David had fought on behalf of God, he decided this one spring to stay at home. He decided to sit it out. He said, oh, he, he sent his chairman of his joint chiefs and his top soldiers. He let them go fight. And he said, you guys just go and fight. I'll stay at home. Just send me updates from the front lines. So he stayed back. And one evening, the Bible tells us, he was walking on the roof of his palace and he looked out over Jerusalem. He looked in another direction and he saw Bathsheba. And we know that that glance turned into lust, turned into adultery, fornication, lies, deceit, and even murder. And it all happened because David got complacent because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And this mighty man of God fell into deep, deep sin. So even when things are going good, when you are living for the Lord, you've had a banner year, God tells us don't rest on that. Don't dwell in that because he has something new for you to do. Don't rest in that. Even David got complacent, and we don't want to get complacent. We don't want to get complacent. We don't need to, and we also don't need to rely on the past because God has given us some very important promises. But what's the main promise? Well, uh, we see there, he says, behold, pay attention. This, you, you want to stop and, and, and gaze at this is what, what that means there. Behold, I will do something new. What's so special about new? Well, we know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so when you look up the, the word, the Hebrew word for new, it is the adjective, in that case, kadash. Uh, and kadash means fresh, new, new thing in the sense of something not previously existing. So God wants to do something fresh, something new in your life, as something that maybe didn't even exist for anybody else or hasn't existed for you. He wants to do that for you. Now, kadash, the adjective, derives, comes from the, the, the verb kadash. As you can see, uh, they're spelled the same way, but you pronounce them differently. And kadash, the verb, means to be new, rebuild, renew, repair. So I, I, I want to ask, again, another question. Is there anyone here who in 2024, you need God to rebuild your family, rebuild your marriage, perhaps? Is there anyone here who needs God to renew your commitment to Christ, re renew your calling in life, renew the passion that you have for your ministry or for your vocation? Is there anyone here who needs God to repair a relationship with a friend, a neighbor, a sibling, a parent. Because God can still do that because in 2023 and in 2024, he is still in the miracle business. He can do that. And so in the miracle, he promises not only that he's going to deliver, but he promises, 
promises us a way through it, and he promises to sustain us when we are walking into the will he has for our lives. We go to verse 19. Again, it says, Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. So the wilderness for the Israelites obviously represented danger. They were in a desert wilderness back then. Uh, they, they had dangerous animals such as lions in the desert. So as they're making their way to the promised land, they've gotten across the Red Sea. They're, they're making their way to the promised land. They still have a lot of danger that they have to deal with. Uh, the, the geography is dangerous. They have caverns and cliffs and tar pits that they could get stuck in and die. They're also warring uh, factions and tribes that are out there that are fighting each other, and they certainly want to attack the Israelites. But God says, you know what? If you stick with me, I'm going to provide a way for you to get through that. So in this world that we live in today, which isn't just getting crazier by the month or the season or the year, this world that we live in is getting crazier by the minute. All sorts of things are being thrown at us, our families and our kids, not just in grade schools, but the university campuses are, are just absolutely pitiful in terms of morality. All these evils are being thrown at us. It's like we're in a wilderness, but God says, if you trust me, if you stick with me, I am going to find you a way through it. If you trust me. You're, you're, you're not going to get through it listening to being on social media all the time. Your, your, your ideology, your political party is not going to do it for you. The thing that's going to do it for you is the way that God provides. He says he'll also make a river out there in the desert. Well, for the Israelites, you know, the, the desert, you know, even though it's changed, it was still the desert back then. And, you know, when you're in the desert, it's hot. Uh, you, you need water. Uh, obviously, humans can't survive very long with water. But we know when we read the Bible that God provided water for the Israelites for the entire time that they were in the desert. And so if you find yourself spiritually, emotionally, mentally, maybe even financially drained and you need replenishment, God says he is going to provide a way for you to get through those tough times. The spiritual fatigue, the emotional fatigue, the mental fatigue. You feel like you don't have anything left, but you can go to God and he can sustain you like he did his people in the desert. Where do we get that sustenance today? Well, Jesus tells us in the book of John, uh, he was uh, in Jerusalem, his uh, 12 disciples and other followers had gone in before him. He shows up during a, one of the, the Jewish feasts. Uh, he decides to go to the temple and he decides to teach. And this is what the Bible says in John 7:37. It says, "Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, "If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those he believed in him, who, who those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus was not yet glorified, he hadn't died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven yet, and, and, and we didn't get the Spirit until when, when that happened. But Jesus there, that living water he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is what, what, what sustains us today if we, if we are believers in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who sustains us. And so the thing about the Holy Spirit, though, is, is you don't have access to the Holy Spirit unless, uh, until and unless you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When, when, when you do that, when you, when you accept the fact that you are not reconciled to God because of your sin, and then you accept the fact that the only thing that could, could rectify that relationship and reconcile you to Almighty God is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross in his blood, when you accept that, you repent from your sin, that is when you become saved. You start living for Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you forever. And so think about that picture of the roadway and, and, and God. So Almighty God, the Father, creates the roadway, but you don't have access to Almighty God unless you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. But when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you also have access to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one who guides us on that roadway. He is the one that provides that sustenance, that spiritual, emotional, mental sustenance, sustenance in every way that we need. It's the Holy Spirit, but the only way you're going to get it is if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't happen any other way. That's the way God has provided for his people in this day and age. And Jesus is the promised land. So we talked about our original points in the beginning. God keeps his promises. Well, he, he certainly kept his promise to bring Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And then 900 years later, where we were in Isaiah, he also brought them out of Babylon after 70 years, like he said he would, and he brought them back to Jerusalem. They were worried that he wasn't going to do that, but he held through, he came through on his promises. Uh, he wants to intervene personally. Well, in both cases, he, he intervened very personally uh, when it came to getting the Israelites out of Egypt, and he did so to get them out of Babylon as well. And then he wants to do something even greater. He wants to do something new and even greater. Well, to get them out of Babylon, like most of us know a lot about Egypt and their pharaohs and how powerful they were, but it was an even greater feat for God to get the Israelites out of Babylon 900 years later, because as much as we know about Egypt and their pharaohs, the Babylonian empire was far bigger and far greater and more powerful than Egypt. So, to, and that's one of the reasons that the Israelites in Babylon were so discouraged, because they knew how powerful Babylon was, but, but God got them out of that situation as well, just like he did, he got, got their ancestors out in, in Egypt 900 years before, and it was an even greater feat because Babylon was a greater empire than Egypt was. And then he did it in a new way. You know, we, we know how he did it in Egypt. There were the plagues, and then they got to the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea. But because Babylon was so great, God created another empire, the Persians, that were greater, that became greater than Babylon. They defeated Babylon on behalf of God. And then their leader, Cyrus, God gave him a heart for God and for the Israelites. And Cyrus, that leader of that new powerful empire, allowed the Israelites to go back to, to Jerusalem. So he did something new. He rescued them, but he did it in a new way, and he did it in an even greater way for those Israelites there in Babylon. And today in 2023, on this last day, he wants to do something even greater and bigger in all of our lives in this new year. 
And so if you are a, a born-again believer, let 2024 be the year that you trust God more than you ever have before. Let this be the year that you grow deeper in your relationship with Almighty God than any other year before. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let 2024 be the year that you embrace Almighty God, that you embrace the fact that none of us can escape, that you are a sinner indeed, and, the only, and that sin keeps you from God, keeps you from having a relationship with God. And because you can't have a relationship with God, the only person that could ever give you a relationship with God is Jesus Christ, and he did so by dying on the cross for us. Let this be the year that you accept that truth and you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then you can allow him to rebuild and renew and refresh all of the areas of your life that need to be renewed, rebuilt, and refreshed. And for all of us, let 2024 be the year that we allow him to do something new.